Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have something a little outside the norm. We're not interviewing a fintech today. I'm actually interviewing an artist, an artist who made global headlines as being the first artist to sell a virtual home via a non-fungible token. If you don't know what that all means, don't worry, because we're going to explain it all. So the person in question is Krista Kim, founder of the Techism Movement, global ambassador for Superworld, and creator of the Mars House, and basically a talented artist. And I brought her on the podcast to discuss how technology is changing both the distribution and implementation of art. And with that, here's my interview with Krista. Krista, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me today. Happy to be here. Yes. Well, small world. Uh, we have a friend in common with a, of a Johnny Charles. And uh, when he mentioned off the cuff that he, he knew you and you sold that house, I was like, okay, I need an introduction because I've been looking for covering to cover NFTs on the podcast with someone who knows firsthand and who better than someone who set a record. So uh, we'll get into that. But uh, Krista, tell us about what it is you do in a nutshell. Well, I, I'm a digital artist. I started uh, creating digital artwork in 2013. I went uh, and I did my master's in Singapore of fine art. And it was there where I decided to depart from painting. I was an expressionist painter and I thought, well, light is the new ink. I was using my smartphone more than any other medium. I wasn't even writing anymore. I have terrible handwriting all of a sudden. And so, <laughs> right. So everyone is like communicating through light on their screens. And so I became fascinated with the medium. And I was also observing how people were completely changing the dynamics of, of their social interactions because of social media platforms and how those social media platforms were actually inferring culture, right? And how culture was changing the dynamics of how we interact. And it kind of, um, I knew that it would be a problem because algorithms have become the new religion and algorithms are basically creating these, uh, you know, these vacuums, echo chambers of information yeah. where we are, no, we are no longer communicating freely uh, with consensus and dialogue. We are now only hearing the ideas that we want to hear. And that's not good for democracy, especially. So knowing this and as an artist, I, I really thought, well, there are two things that need to happen. We need to basically ensure that people are free thinkers going forward in the 21st century and beyond. And how do you do that? We have to have a daily practice of meditation because we have to strengthen our prefrontal cortex. It's a muscle that actually keeps us as free thinkers so that we're not uh, perpetually addicted to our phones. They're addictive devices. We don't want to be addicted. We want to be free thinkers and sovereign as human beings. Meditation ensures that. It's, it's a scientifically proven method. And then, of course, you want to make sure that on a social level that we have technology companies that are more humane. And how do you do that? You involve art and humanities in the boardrooms and you have discussions and collaborations so that companies... Uh, do not only have engineers and entrepreneurs, but also people who understand the human touch to make the companies more likable so that they're not blunt instruments of commerce only. And that is the tech is a art movement. And I wrote the manifesto in 2014 with that in mind, because I knew the capital riots basically were a cathartic example of how social media can actually mm -hmm. create such extreme tribalism that you have people who are so... So in their own bubble of information, there's a loss of actual reality and dialogue. And this is happening on social media platforms. So 
that's the foundation of my art practice, meditativeness and healing and using the screen as a mode of hu- you know, humanity, bringing us together and wellness. So at the end of the day, you talked about a lot of broader concepts there and how they affect your artwork. That's great. Let's give us some, some background here. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I'll just go back and touch upon the echo chamber concept of these companies wanted to increase engagement or increase profitability, but whoops, looks like we managed to create tribalism to the nth degree now and filter bubbles where people only have to hear what they want to hear to the point now where that's even manifesting itself in the offline world where people are trying to create, you know, even more extreme television channels that not only prevent by their point of view, it's one, <laughs> if you want to be myopic. I mean, just, just take one point of view as opposed to trying to understand all sides of the equation. Anyway, that's a philosophical argument. We can, can go away from that, but let's get back to the core of why, why I brought you on. It's basically a discussion about NFTs, digital art and the metaverse. So I'm going to very briefly jump into what an NFT is for those who don't understand. We have covered blockchain technology in the past quite frequently in the context of cryptocurrencies. So there's actually a couple of episodes we'll link to if you want to go back and get the the 101 on how that works. But unlike cryptocurrencies, where the entire idea is to make transactions with them, potentially, which is something called fungibility, the ability to spend something in one place versus the other. An NFT or non-fungible token is a token that denotes value or ownership of something specific. And in this case, one of the biggest use cases for it thus far has one of the more explosive ones has been in the art realm. Now, of course, there was that auction at Christie's that set the record for digital art for how much was that? Like six point uh, 69, 69 mil. People. 69 mil. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> Nevertheless, yeah, 69 mil. And then there was yourself who basically sold the first, the first digital home online. And what was the price tag on that one? Uh, 512,000 US. Now, I'm sure the numbers that we are talking about are literally breaking people's brains because, you know, we're used to a digital world where things are highly, easily copied, right? And I'll, I'll, I will admit, I struggled with the Christie's auction too because it's like, I can find screen captures of this thing anywhere, right? Like this is a, this is a two-dimensional representation of, of, of artwork. And I think that is something that is a lot harder to claim ownership over versus what you've done, which is a three-dimensional virtual scape. I think there's ownership is a little bit easier to understand in that context. And mm-hmm. you know, I think the people who, who, who buy into NBA top shots will, will agree with me with that. But anyway, so talk to me about how you, you were already in the digital uh, art world. How did you get into NFTs? What was the opportunity you saw that you clearly harvested? Well, clearly for me as a digital artist, especially, I found it very challenging where you can actually have your your files and your precious artwork copied a gazillion times and you don't even know where it ends up. It could end up anywhere, really. So that vulnerability of the medium was a problem for me. So what I would do is I would print it. And then the printed version would be the actual art itself. However, the NFT, when I was researching for my own investments, Bitcoin and Ethereum, understanding decentralization and blockchain and smart contracts, I did the research and I looked for blockchain of art. NFTs came up and then immediately I was like, wow, there's a place called superrare.com and that's the, the market where I sold my NFT. I applied immediately as an artist and I became whitelisted for last February to to mint my first NFT. For me, I thought, wow, this is actually giving the digital artist the power to actually uh, sell their art properly as a rare piece of work, a one of one or a limited series, but you can actually control the rarity of it. And that's, that's everything. 
that's everything in, uh, for a work of art, right? Mm-hmm. But it also affords us the opportunity to market our work, show our work uh, directly to the uh, buyers and not have intermediaries get the gallery system and the traditional art system. They usually take between 40 to 50% of the artwork, usually upon sale. And if you could imagine the billions of dollars that goes to the intermediary section of the business traditionally, mm-hmm. and that's almost eliminated with NFTs in the digital market. So it's a major shift and it's a, it's almost a power shift into the hands of the creator, really. Well, so you hit upon a couple of interesting notes on how the technology is disrupting the space. I mean, the first off, you had to print a piece of digital artwork in order to establish that kind of authentication of ownership. That isn't a problem screaming out for a solution. I don't know what it is. I created it in this medium, but that medium cannot be controlled. So therefore, I have to, in order to maintain ownership, transform it to another medium. That's, wow, that's, that's bizarre. It's another then, expression of the medium. It means, yeah. yeah fair, it can't, yeah, fair enough. I think it's just, but especially when you start talking about 3D renderings in places, it's, it's a very limited expression, I would think. Because, I mean, you got to print the entire 3D house and how and from what angles, from what, you know, you can't get. <laughs> no, you can't yeah, do that. Exactly, right? <laughs> and then you talk about the basically getting away from the traditional distribution model, which, yes. again, here's the corollary to fintech as well, is that basically the traditional distribution required large-scale bricks and mortar and physical presence to actually operate, right? Whereas the digital world is one that is basically omnipresent and easily accessible with very low friction costs. So mm-hmm. what we're seeing is just, again, another technology and especially internet technology basically starting to apply itself to yet another medium or another vertical of, of, a, of an industry, which is artwork. And we've seen a couple of other interesting examples, and we can share our opinions on this. I mean, Charlie bit my finger. That video just got pulled off of YouTube because that sold for, I think, $60,000 or something Brilliant. like that. That's Brilliant. good on them. Oh. And then the last one, although I, I shudder to think what the baby shark video is going to go for when they decide to oh. pull that one. My, uh, <laughs> my daughter will freak. And then the, oh, the last... Kids. There you go. And then the other one, this is the one I got into a debate with on Twitter because it drove me nuts, was someone yeah. NFT'd a Banksy and then destroyed the Banksy. And I was like, this is wrong. And someone's like, well, Banksy would love this kind of stuff. You would totally do it. I said, if it's Banksy doing it, it's artwork. If it's you yeah. doing it, it's it's crime. Like, that's just yeah. wrong. Yeah, so, I agree. Exactly. Because I said, it's well, It's an expression great, of the times. You can Absolutely. only get away with that right now at this period, uh, at this moment. It wouldn't make any sense five years from now. It's about it's about the timing. Absolutely. And I basically said, great, let's just shred the art. Mona Lisa while we're at it. I mean, like, let's just do that yeah. while we're at it. No, I mean, no, like, that, that won't work for a Mona Lisa for sure. But you could introduce that, fractional ownership of a Mona Lisa. Why not? This is true. So that's, that brings us to another part of the, the NFT space. So, you know, traditionally <laughs> with artwork. So but before we get there, let's actually talk about someone buys a piece of digital art. There's still some ambiguity as to what necessarily is going to come with that digital artwork, right? Like, I mean, I think about that that case of the Christie's sale. If he's got sole rights to it, good luck pulling every copy of that screen capture <laughs> off of the internet, right? Like, okay, like what yeah. does that mean? So you can you can own the the Van Gogh can exist in a museum as part of their collection, but you can also have a gazillion postcards out there. Right. The same yeah. difference. You don't own the actual image, but you own the actual original file. And that will be like, that's, there's a difference, right? Between the NFT and a copy of the NFT, because it's just not written in the, lo- in the blockchain. And that may sound very weird to people out there, but uh, that's written in the blockchain. So it is what it is. <laughs> It's a cultural phenomenon. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's the reality is, is that people sometimes have a hard time wrapping their head around why would anyone do this sort of thing? But the Mm. the ownership 
of digital assets is something that's actually been around for quite a long time. And the simplest example I have are the games like Diablo or World of Warcraft, where yeah. even before there were markets that were built into these things, people were selling armor or weapons on eBay and transacting real currency and then meeting virtually to deliver on the actual product sold. So there is, as long as it's like anything else. People will, if you have a hard time understanding the value of crypto or, or the value, it's, you may have a hard time understanding the value of hard currency. As long as two people agree that there's value to something, then there has value to two of them, right? Now, yes, in order for it to have substantial value, it typically needs to have a lot of people who believe that there's value to something. But it's at the end of the day, as long as we're both willing to transact for it, it's not a question whether you want to believe it or not, it's still valid. So on that point, yes. And, and if you look at Mars House and you analyze why Mars House has become such a, a global story is because it really is a marker of our time and it is the harbinger for our augmented reality lifestyle that is coming around the corner. XR lifestyle, uh, the metaverse. NFTs are going into the metaverse and that is the next generation. So right now, what we see currently is a very nascent space, and it's not, it's not going to be the way it is going forward in five years. In five years, it's going to be completely immersed in a metaverse uh, sort of experience of the art where you have an app like Superworld, which is the AR interface of the world, and you can have a complete collection of NFTs that are 3D digital assets in your MetaMask wallet that you could upload into Superworld, in your home, in your backyard, anywhere you want through your, your Superworld profile. And so museums can actually display beautiful, rare uh, 3D sculptures and, and 2D artworks anywhere in real time and space within their actual physical location that guests can actually experience altogether. So it's, it's an experiential shift uh, going into XR, and that's where NFTs are going. So 3D digital assets are going to be like tattoos. People are going to be purchasing NFTs just like they do in Warcraft, just like they do in every other game. Mm -hmm. You could buy skins yeah. for your gun. Eventually, people are going to buy skins of their actual home. And they're actually going to be sitting in Mars House in XR, greeting people from all over the world in the metaverse, which, which is what I've been doing. Actually, Mars House is uploaded onto the spatial app and I'm actually having tours. People can actually come inside Mars House with their VR goggles on, walk around and experience it, the light and the sound and the atmosphere of Mars. So this is coming and the technology is only going to get better and better, whereby one day it will be almost indistinguishable of what is a digital asset versus what is tangibly real. Yeah, it's, uh, for lack of a better term, going down the rabbit hole into the matrix. The reality is, is that and for those of you who aren't following around with the concept of the metaverse, like this is just a context of a virtual world where you can basically exist within that world. And, you know, quantum anyone who's lifestyle. ever quantum lifestyle. Yeah. So <laughs> anyone who's ever, if you ever, you know, think of it this way, it's, it's, it's like, it is like the matrix, whether it's with VR or not, or you in a video game walking around a 3D landscape, those are worlds and universes onto themselves. And if you think this is a ridiculous concept, keep in mind that Roblox just IPO'd, which is the, one of the bigger metaverse games and is worth $53 billion. So this is a legitimate thing that's been attempted in many instances like Second Life and other places like that. We just continue to see that evolution. And as VR becomes more commonplace, which it will be in AR as well, then I, it's interesting. It becomes, I think it'll be easier for people to understand 10 years down the road when they spend time with that kind of interface. And suddenly the value of something they see that isn't tangible 
is actually starting to become ever present to them, right? Yeah. And, and that'll happen. I think some of that will happen with just like software applications, right? Like the ability, you know, if Google basically comes up with a version of whatever app that is, I have to subscribe to separately only, but it, to, for uh, separately for it to be in in a three D representation, then I will come to see the value of that three D representation of it as opposed to just the desktop representation Correct. of it. I think, yeah. you know, software will cross that bridge first, but then it's like, I'm spending all this, and I'll take a quick story Quick story here, like the, the people working on, on HoloLens at Microsoft, they basically tend to work without monitors because the HoloLens is the monitor. Right, and exactly. So if you're, if you're looking at your desk and you see these virtual screens mm-hmm. and everything else, mm-hmm. and maybe you want the little drinking bird on the corner of your desk, right? <laughs> you can either buy a real one or you could have the virtual, the virtual one. So whatever it is, like decorating your environment, people are going to want to do that. So I see how this will, this may sound incredibly crazy and out there to some people, but even I think it was Gary Vanderchuk said, if you think people in their phones right now is crazy, wait until they disappear into the, into the metaverse for like a week at a time. It's just evolution. That's what he said. It's also generational. And I think that uh, the generation that grew up with Roblox and Generation Alpha, which is even younger, there are more and more digitally native and gaming in the metaverse are simply something that they want to experience. Like you have concerts now in the metaverse of, of major rap stars and a lot of their fan base actually also prefer to get together and party in the metaverse for a concert. They actually want it. So having this duality of the physical and the XR experience is essential for brands moving forward in order to really connect with this generation and their communities in an authentic and meaningful way. It's a really great opportunity. Funny you mention that because I just watched the episode of Mythic Quest where Snoop actually performs a virtual like <laughs> a virtual concert actually just on the weekend. So timing's, <laughs> timing's accurate. So... You know, we've talked about, you know, honestly, I think a lot of this podcast is going to be seen as out there for a lot of people. So the reality is, is when we come to the core of it, is that there's a virtual environment. Virtual environments are becoming more and more engaging and more and more desired to be participated in, especially amongst younger generations. It's only going to increase. And you are the harbinger in a lot of what you did as basically being someone, I mean, like this is playing right into your wheelhouse, right? Like you, you're in mm-hmm. digital, you're in digital art and you are now positioned in a very great way to basically benefit from everybody's desire to decorate their lifestyle or be, or, or basically create their places of, of, of going to in this space. So, um, yeah, we have <laughs> you a probably lot. didn't see I this have, coming. Oh, I, I didn't see that. Yeah. I actually have so many companies coming to me asking me about the metaverse and NFTs and I'm doing a lot of consulting and it's just because they're asking me for help. And I, I happen to know the leading players, uh, like Superworld and all these other platforms and uh, other leading designers and, and artists in the space in order to help execute, uh, you know, strategy. And it's, it's just understanding and having, I mean, I also have kids who play in Roblox and, and I understand what they're into, right? So that is also an added bonus because if you're not around kids, then you don't understand it at all, right? There's no mm-hmm. connection to the metaverse at all. But yeah, it's it's really amazing. I had no idea that it would become, like I, I had no idea that I would be approached by Superworld to become the global ambassador. Rish, Rish contacted me and he he really wanted to engage and work with me and really help to create this platform because our mission is to create a better world with augmented reality, not, not a parasitic uh, data surveillance platform for governments and companies. Like, no, we're not going down that that path. 
So it's, it's been episodes where I talked about that in the past too. So before we go uh, any further on that, talk to me about Superworld because they keep on coming up. How are they yeah. different than other like metaversal games that we've seen before? So we are decentralized, okay? And uh, we actually promote the democratization of ownership of the world. And we actually want people to monetize from the activity on their plots of land that they own because we're selling virtual we're selling virtual plots of land that are basically mapped geographically onto the real world. And then we also have the actual interface that allows people to upload AR digital 3D assets into the real space. So you could imagine what concerts or Disneyland would be like with 3D digital NFTs creating an immersive experience for you and your family. Like you could literally dance with Mickey Mouse or (laughs) you can raise a, a pet Simba and you can wear uh, the Elsa dress, right? And there are all kinds of incredible projects because the Apple, the Apple glasses are coming out in a year and we all know Is what's it a year? going I to happen. I, it's, that's like the mechanical <laughs> rabbit. Like it's, uh, who knows when they get there, but yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a rapid race towards building wearable, like long-term wearable glasses that provide AR. Yeah. And yeah. If Apple nails it or anyone else nails, especially if Apple nails it, oh, next yeah. thing you know, it's, it's everyone's well, going to have it. Well, think about how it's going to transform all of these industries. And many industries have become obsolete, like, for example, fashion. Okay. Fashion is going to be more sustainable. People are going to prefer to wear an overlay of digital fashion that has incredible interactivity and more like, it's just vivacious and it lives with you. You can, you can create incredible ideas and just go out of this world, right? With the outfits that you wear. And imagine people are just going to be showing off their digital fashion, their sneakers. Everything is going to be off the scale, creative and beautiful. And then you can also consider their kids' birthday parties. You're going to have teddy bears popping out of cakes. You're going to have digital balloons. You're going to have fireworks instead of buying the real thing. You could just buy the experience in AR. It's more sustainable. You're not creating waste. You're not buying junk at the dollar store for two hours of fun. So many people are making so many wasteful decisions for these events that can easily be a solvable, beautiful, more amazing experience in AR. Yep. And if, for those of you who have never done this, there are countless AR apps out there to play around with. And if you think it's, eh, it's just, uh, you know, it's not that interesting, give it to your kids. Okay. Like my kids have played with countless little AR avatars in the past. Like, you know, there's the current Marvel one where my son gets to basically have the Captain America shield tied to his arm and he gets to move it around and see that happen on a video afterwards. Or even what was the one Google actually, I think, did they still do it? Let me just see here. Lion. There was a point where if you looked up certain animals, uh, one of the yeah. options that you would be given would be to use the, would be to create a AR oh, representation brilliant. of that lion. So my kids have pictures next to all kinds of animals that have never been in our house. And my son, at one point, I mean, he had a pet dragon, a virtual pet. You know, oh, basically that's a Tamag- brilliant. Yeah. Basically like a uh, virtual Tamagotchi pet. For those of us who remember the stupid little keychains <laughs> yeah, back in the yeah, day yeah. where to feed the, the pet, but <laughs> like he had that thing and he had to maintain it because he, he had to clean up its poop. It was, it was quite hilarious. Wow. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, um, it showed show some responsibility, but it was the, you know, like all things, the kid drifts off it eventually, but these are the super yeah. early implementations of this stuff. And when you start to think about how much easier it would be if, Basically, your interface was right in front of you at all times and adapted to the world around you. I mean, there's a reason why so much money is being spent by so many different parties in this space. It's because this is the next paradigm in user interface and not just user interface, but I think you, you hit on so many user experiences that can be had. Exactly. 
and I would basically describe it as a, a portal into alternate dimensions of reality. And they all are reality because it's basically what we perceive. So it's really important to create responsible and things that make the world better and more beautiful, basically, and not have a cacophony of junk. So that's something that we're very mindful of, mindful of at Superworld. And I particularly want to push that forward. I'm part of Fantastic. that. Fantastic. And for those of you who are looking to get your feet wet in this, I will suggest if you really want to see just how much it can be disorientated or how much it can, you can get lost in it, try one of these AR gaming play or sorry, not augmented reality, but VR gaming places. I will tell you, I remember the first time I went, we played for an hour, completely submersed in the entire thing. You take off the headset and you're still in the open warehouse that you started out in and you are jarred. It is the most jarring experience to take that to take that thing off and go from the world you spent an hour in to the world you were in before. Like you knew you knew that's where you were. But when you're like, oh, that's there's the wall. I'm standing here. And you're just like, how you like party is almost like, how did I even get here? And I still remember walking out and I had this like look of daze on my face and said to the guy, does everybody walk out of here looking like they just got hit by a truck? And he's like, you'd be amazed. Like most people just don't know what hit them the first time. I'm like, well, crazy. imagine, imagine your our grandkids. They're all going to be quantum hopping like Doctor Who. And it's going to be like <laughs> second nature to them. Right. <laughs> It's going to be insane. They're just going to have it as second nature and education is going to reach a whole new level globalism. The fact that you yep. can make friends and have play dates with kids in Egypt and visit the pyramids and learn all about it. That's the future yep. of education and travel. Even you could jump and sort of just uh, your avatar can be there and you can have your VR set and you could be with kids that are in Egypt and they can actually teach you about their culture and everything. That's a beautiful future. And that's something that I, I envision will be a wonderful transcendent uh, evolution of, of global humanity, in fact. I think the education aspect is incredibly valuable because I've already seen uh, some early tests where they've done like lunar landing site virtual reality, right? Mars. Yeah, so like, exactly, right? So the the ability, it's one thing to tell someone about something or about a historical event or about a historical place, something else to be able to show them what it would have looked like back then and for them to freely walk around it potentially. So, you know, that to me, the, the educational aspects of it are, are just super, super interesting to me, but it is, this is probably one of the more out there podcasts I've had for most people listen to. So I hope they enjoyed it because we were talking about a lot of very abstract concepts, but digital are abstract concepts. But more importantly, I think that the core of the reason I brought you on yeah. was, I mean, again, you're, you're part of, you're part of digital history now. Like you, you facilitated a transaction in a digital realm, like of something that has never been done before in quite that way. And that is something we're just going to see more and more of. And I think one of the things that was excited me about blockchain technology early on was the ability to have basically almost infinitely divisible ownership of something so you can yes. fractionalize anything. Just think about the lifestyle applications for that about if you, instead of reverse mortgaging your house, you could just basically sell off fractions of it if you chose to and not have the exactly. debt. Exactly. Amazing. Right? Like, right? Exactly. Stuff like that, that, you know, or you can, you can have even the pain in the butt of having to have a set number of dollars to buy a share of a company that no longer has to be a thing. It could be like, oh, you got 50 cents. Well, here's your fractional share of that 50 cents of the company, right? Okay. So countless, countless ways that this can be facilitated. And you're just another, you're, what you've done is another kind of extension of that, that potential. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, I found a collector who actually, cause I didn't, I knew that I had something very special, but I was launching this NFT on a platform that has its own parameters, its own system, mm -hmm. which is selling 2d artworks or videos. And that was the art, right? But I'm selling a metaverse home that you experience the next star. So I didn't know if there would be a collector 
that would actually understand or get it. But luckily in the community, we have a lot of visionaries and futurists. And uh, Art on Internet is a consortium of collectors and they are investing in art of the future. So thank God I, I, I was able to connect with them on super rare. I mean, this would never have happened if it weren't an NFT and I weren't on this platform. So it's incredible. There's a lot of innovation that will happen as a result. Great. I mean, honestly, I try to imagine, you know, again, never happened. Turn the clock back 10 years and this would not never have been a thing. So yeah, it's incredible. You can't rely on, on the traditional art system to actually facilitate any sort of innovation because even they are against the NFT movement. There's a lot of hate in the old system. And, uh, you know, they're basically, they're trying to dismiss NFTs as a fad or a trend. But really, you could, as you mentioned, you can create fractional ownership of old master's paintings in the museums that are losing their business and almost going bankrupt because they have to sell their collections. Fractional ownership, right? Fractional ownership of museums. Mm-hmm. I mean, NFTs are not just art. NFT is a technology in, in many, many use cases. Well, as a um, as Upton Sinclair once said, it's difficult for a man to understand something when his salary depends on not understanding it. So, uh, right. you know, that is, <laughs> yes. that is, yes, exactly. So I think the, uh, the challenge there is that, yeah, it's a very lucrative, very friction heavy existing marketplace. Like you said, gatekeepers who give you wall space or don't give you wall space. But frankly, let's also, where I don't understand the hate is the simple mm-hmm. fact that you're a medium that does not speak to their traditional distribution. So the reality is that, frankly, why are they threatened by something that they couldn't sell in the first place? Or is it just, you know, the envy of the fact that they couldn't sell it in the first place? It's not everyone. So I'm actually collaborating. I'm open to collaboration. I'm not a maximalist by any means. I'm very open. And I think that there is room for curation. There's room for, for agents to come in and actually help artists because we can't do everything. So I'm collaborating with, for example, in Toronto, I'm going to have a show at the Tagliatelle Gallery in September. I'm also doing a large public art installation end of August, August 20th to 22nd. So we're going to have this in tandem show and I'm collaborating with them, you know, and why not? I'm going to do an installation in their gallery so they can introduce their clients. And, you know, we have to make a bridge between this extreme crypto revolutionary culture and our traditional system. We have to make a bridge, a happy medium and create the opportunity to bring collectors into this this uh, this realm of NFTs. I don't think that it's sustainable to only rely on the small number of whale collectors that are in the crypto art market currently mm-hmm. with all the millions of artists out there. You know, I think that we have to have a healthy ecosystem and that is facilitated through people who support the work. But I believe that the major change that we're seeing because of the NFT market is that their percentages are being lowered from 50%, maybe to mm-hmm. 30 to 20%, something a little bit more, more fair to the creator and also the resale royalties. NFT markets actually, for super rare, for example, where, where I am based, we get a 10% royalty per resale in the secondary market. And uh, I think that tradition and that new system will be also adopted in, in the traditional art world where it hasn't. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody. I think your answers might be more creative than uh, most of the ones that I get. So let's see. So first question is, if you had something, if you had one wish for something to get changed in your industry as the world as a whole, what would it be? I want the world to be absolutely decentralized. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. I want decentralization. And I know that we're getting there. And I know that right now, this is one of the movements and shifts that we are actually experiencing. It's a cultural paradigm shift. 
globally that's actually starting the financial markets, DeFi and cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be actually something that we experience culturally, decentralization of politics, of government, everything on a trust- trustless-based system. I think that it's better to have a trustless-based system where we can have efficiency and not worry about getting cheated and not have to invest money in defending ourselves, but rather creation and co-creation and collaboration. That's what makes our civilization better. That was a very different answer than I normally hear. <laughs> so that's predicted. The second question, and this one's a little bit different. I'd say normally the question is, what's been the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today? Now, we're not talking about you as a company, but talk to me about your career and what's been the biggest challenge you getting to the stage that you're currently in in your career thus far? Wonderful. So as a digital artist, it was kind of difficult to get mainstream art world support of my work. I mean, I I was recognized as, of course, as a digital artist and that's all good. I did a collaboration with Lanvin in 2018, but really it was attraction and and the interest was like very niche, very niche. But now ever since COVID-19 happened, COVID-19, basically it fast forwarded digitization of the world. Right. So now digital is on the same level as physical art. And I think that it's it's seen now as an actual art form and not just a niche art form. So that's the most promising thing for me is actual recognition in the art world and in, in society, period, you know, understanding my work. Cause seven, eight years ago when I started, there were crickets. It was very, very like, you know, I had a few collectors count in my hand, but now it's much, much more engagement and interest in digital, which is really amazing. Well, you picked the frontier sector, so it's not surprising that uh, you know it takes a while to gain some steam there. So, yeah, I can't uh, help it. <laughs> it's funny. And the last question about uh, that I have for you is: What excites you about what it is you're working on, and gets you up in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight? Mm, yeah, yeah, because I really believe that right now we're we're truly in the greatest disruptive period of human history because we are experiencing greatest disruption. And that means that all of the systems of the past, the way they used to operate, I think they're all being disrupted and changed, digitized. I think that decentralization is stepping in. There's going to be great disruption, huge. And so we have an opportunity to create uh, something new out of the old. It's a blank canvas, if you will. And as as artists, artists are the ones that can create a, a vision of the future, something that doesn't already exist, create something new. We're not repeating from the past, right? So I think it's a wonderful opportunity for artists to create a better world, right? And I think decentralization, where you have the greatest shift of, of wealth ever in human history, power to the people, I think it's a positive thing, especially moving forward if you're looking at our, the strength of the economy, And of course, you have sustainability and political accountability. You want the world to function and to move forward with a positive vision for the future. And I think art has a major, major role in that because we're the ones that show people a vision of the future, something to look forward to. And we need vision and leadership. So that's exciting. Excellent. Krista, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me. So that was my interview with Krista Kim, and I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, I'm sure that we talked about more abstract principles and uh, <laughs> thoughts than, than you've heard on this podcast in a while. But nevertheless, this is a, a new and emergent space. And I'm sure if you listen to this in 10 years time, it will probably sound like, yeah, of course that was going to happen. And of course, NFT is a thing. And so we'll, uh, we'll see. But uh, nevertheless, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit your podcast. And until next time, take care.
This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.